The following is brought to you courtesy of the No Phony Podcast Network, home of independent awesomeness. He greets you in a bathrobe with nothing on him. How's that for a memory? <laughs> if they could have killed me, they would have. Hey, Casey, I have something to admit. What's that, Bill? So, how many episodes are we in now? On this will be episode number 14, my friend. Well, I'm going to be honest. The first 13 that we did, I assumed nobody was listening to us. I felt like we were just talking into, a, into outer space, just an open uh, vacuum of, of nothingness. But it turns out we actually have listeners. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Not like 10, not like 100. Like, we are close to 1,000 listeners, Casey. Wow. And I had no idea. I finally figured, like, we got that analytics tool that's actually showing us all the people that are listening to all our podcasts and all our our YouTube stuff together. So, shit. Like, now I'm nervous doing these things. When (laughs) when I thought nobody was listening, (laughs) it was no problem. Well, that's pretty cool. We got to get people involved. You know, we got to get the Facebook group moving, you know. I want, I want to see what people are thinking out there, what they, what they like, what they don't like, what they want us to talk about. Maybe they want you to, you know, do your show, do the show with your shirt off. You know, you never know. They might have once. Possibly. Yeah. We could do it outside. I can take my shirt off. I don't mind. Do it outside. Yeah, well, I'm not going to sit here in, in my nice, comfortable house with my shirt off. I got to go outside and get the air flowing, you know? <laughs> oh, well, good point. All right, good point. I'm not, I'm not a fucking savage, Bill. No. I just sit around inside with my shirt off. Every time people talk about you, they always say, you know, that Casey, he is not a savage. <laughs> no, I have something else to admit, too. I got busted talking behind your back. What? <laughs> so we both go to the same place to get our hair cut. We go to Joel the Hair Surgeon, right? Yes. Red yeah. Horse. He's awesome. Like, I love being able to just go in, and he just knows what to do, and he takes care of my hair, and he's... You know, he's a, a just a great dude. So I know you know him. Oh, are you wearing a shirt? Yeah. No, he better be wearing our shirt today. Of course. It's actually Red Horse Hair Studio, I think. I called it Hair Salon. So I'm sitting in the chair, <laughs> and I'm telling him a story about you. Now I'm going to tell everybody this story. So out of the blue, because you travel a lot for work. Yeah. Out of the blue, a few weeks ago, you sent me this picture, and it was it was a picture of you and an umbrella, and you had this look on your face of absolute fear. Like, I, it was, I got to put this picture up. It, it was just, you were terrified. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, what's going on? Like, it, it, it was like a meteor was coming down, and it, this would be the picture that you take right before it smacks into you. And you're like, dude, where were you? Uh, you know the story. You know where I'm going. That was in Michigan. Michigan. You're like, Bill, I'm being attacked by seagulls. I'm like, what? So that, that face was you being attacked by seagulls, and you were scared for your life. And I'm telling Joel this story. I'm like, this fucking guy was scared of seagulls. Oh, my God. Can you believe me being a friend of seagulls? And damn it, if, if you didn't coincidentally have an appointment with Joel like three hours later. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you know, Bill was just here talking shit on you about the seagulls attacking you. <laughs> what the fuck? I told you that in confidentiality on our podcast three weeks ago. (laughs) Yeah, I have loose lips. You can't tell me anything. Didn't didn't I tell that story on the podcast? I can't remember, but... I think I might have. Well, now it's not so bad that I I shared it, because now it's public domain. Good. That makes me feel a little better, (laughs) because when I heard he was talking to you, I felt guilty. Those seagulls were... They were ready to kill me. If they could have killed me, they would have. Whatever, whatever they were protecting on that roof, they did not want me near. Oh, my God. Were they pecking at you? 
They were diving at me and shitting at me. Shitting at you? Yeah, and then I was swinging. I, I had my I had maybe I didn't tell the story. I don't remember, so I'll tell it again. So I inspect roofs uh, for a living around the country, and I was in Michigan, and uh, apparently, if seagulls have a nest somewhere on a roof, they they do not want you around the uh the nest and the there was about at least a hundred seagulls up on this roof but there was one that was very protective of whatever was on that roof i never saw the nest but uh i told bill i could see that bird's face and eyes looking at me and it wanted to kill me it was dive bombing me and then they spray shit at you like directed at you as they're passing like a like dropping bombs and uh, I'm pretty sure when I went down to my car, he was on the edge of the roof looking at me in my car. He, he spotted me in my car, him or her. They, were, they knew where I was. You didn't know if it was a boy or a girl? Um, it was probably a, a mother, mother bird. This has to be. I know they made, you know, the birds. Hitchcock made that. But they got to make something called the gulls. The gulls? And it's like your story. Like this could be a horror movie. Oh, I have a little script written up for it. <laughs> it inspired you to write a story <laughs> a movie screen <laughs> like it's a sh it would be a short it would be actually my friend ryan vu wrote it but it would be a short film but it's pretty good if we can figure out cgi i think we might have something just take like some stuffed animal birds and just throw <laughs> them at you it'd be a very short film <laughs> casey walks out of a place birds attack he gets in his car Goes home. It's over. <laughs> so that's why I I didn't finish. So I have a I have like a little clipboard that I walk around with with all my stuff in it. And as this bird was like diving at me, I was like, you know, not really trying to hit it, but just like you know, swinging to to get it away from me. You know. Yeah. Well, when I went down to my car, I was reading about how to how to uh, deter seagulls. And that's the one thing you're not supposed to do. Swing things at them. It just makes them more angry. <laughs> well, we have learned. Now, do not. <laughs> yeah. So what I had to do was I went and I bought two umbrellas at the store. And I crisscrossed them across my chest like this. So they were, so they were surrounding me completely. And uh, I, I had to just walk the roof. And they... They shit on the umbrellas at least like three or four times. Kept oh, diving at me. That is the greatest story I've ever heard. I just, I, I wish there was video of you just running from seagulls. <laughs> I mean, you're a big, strong guy, and these seagulls really had you scared. I love it. We had a fun week, man. What else did we do? We went to the, uh, we went to a, a drive-in together. We had a yeah. date. Yeah. The, the Mahoning Drive-In Theater up in uh, Lee Heighton. Lee Heighton, PA, and, and they did a, a, a an Amazon Prime movie on on this place. Is it one of the last single screen um, drive-in theaters? I think that's what they were saying when we were yep. there. Yep, that was pretty cool. Like I've never really I've gone to a drive-in once um, a long time ago. Hardly remember when I was a kid, but what a cool kind of vibe. We were just sitting there. We were watching uh, Bruce Campbell, who came to town, right? And he was doing he was showing some movies. He was doing some Q and A. Did we meet him? I'm not sure we really got to meet him. <laughs> yeah, I know. People always say, you know, they post their photos. You know, we, all right, so Bill and I got the uh, the VIP package on Friday night and uh, last Friday night, and we had the uh, meet and greet, but it's socially distanced. So it was, we were six feet away from Bruce Campbell while we stood there and posed with him. And uh, yeah, I mean, people people always say I got to meet Bruce Campbell, and they post that picture. Well, not really. Yeah, yeah. We we stood on the same. <laughs> we stood with six feet away from him. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I know. Give him a hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> hundred dollars to be in your presence, sir. <laughs> it's like they they did one of those because there was a lot of people here doing this, and and they were just cranking everyone through the photo hop. And in between us was the was a window from the Evil Dead uh, Two house, so I thought that was kind of cool. So that's what separated us a a, a window. 
Yeah. And I remember getting, I was actually nervous, right? I, cause I, you know, I've met a million famous people, but I was like, I really, really like Bruce Campbell. And he's, he was on my bucket list of people I wanted to meet. We got to figure out how to get him on the show. I know he doesn't do a lot of stuff like this, but um, you know, it's like, I remember being nervous. I'm walking up to the spot and he just looks at me and goes, be cool. And then they take the picture and they're like, all right, next, move them on. Get them out of here. Come on. I was like, oh, that, that, that was it. That was it. But it, was, it was a cool thing, man. Like, it, we were we were wide open. It was the first time I've actually done anything in these um, in in this pandemic times where I was actually out with a crowd, you know. But it was you know everybody was wearing masks, and whether you believe you should or shouldn't, it was nice to see that people were doing it just to be peaceful with you know everybody there. So you know it felt like a safe event, but it's definitely a thing I want to start going back to that more. They got Friday the Thirteenth showings there. They got all sorts of great monster movie showings. One of the reasons I love Bruce Campbell so much, and I'm curious if you know about this, have you seen the old Sam Raimi? Sam Raimi did, uh, you know, all the Evil Deads, but he also did the first Spider-Man trilogy. Never saw any of the Spider-Man movies, but I know that he did it. Actually, uh, we went back the the next night. A friend of mine went with me, and they were talking about a lot of the Sam Raimi stuff. Yeah. During the Q&A. All right. All those Q&As were painful. <laughs> Poor Bruce. So this this one kid, do you remember the one kid came up and he just went, what did he say? He said, Bruce of Earl. And Bruce is looking at him going, what? Bruce of Earl. It is great to meet you. He goes, what the fuck are you talking about? And we're all watching this go down. We're like, oh, this is the most uncomfortable thing. Some of those guys are crazy. Some good questions, but some of them were just like, what? What the fuck? You guys are nuts. What are you, what are you high on? I mean, <laughs> great entertainment. I love that. Yeah. Last it. night, last night during the Q and A, I feel like Bruce might have been drinking a little bit before he came out. <laughs> he probably needed to. <laughs> After the night you and I were there, those just absolutely insane questions. But so Bruce Campbell was in every one of of Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies. He had a cameo in every movie. So in the first movie, part of the uh, the Spider Man. Uh, history is when he learns he has these powers he wants to make some money so he becomes a professional wrestler he becomes a casey <laughs> you know and he beats the uh the bad guy pretty soundly but the ring announcer is bruce campbell and it's like oh that's a cute cool little nod you know sam raimi and bruce are friends so stick him in in the next movie um i think he was a uh he was a he was a a guy who uh was like the usher at a play or a musical because right? Peter Parker wants to go in and see his girlfriend. His girlfriend is singing and they do that bullshit where you can't let somebody in until there's an intermission. So yeah, he keeps yeah. trying to get in. The guy who's stopping him at the door is Bruce Campbell again. <laughs> the third time in the third movie, Peter Parker's ready to, you know, give an engagement ring to uh, his, his girlfriend whose name I'm completely blanking. It's not Gwen Stacy. It's the other one. Uh, Kirsten Dunst played her. Man, I'm getting old. Memory is just absolutely awful. Mary Jane is her name. So he, he's going to uh, propose to her. So the, 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 the waiter at the restaurant that's going to help give the ring is Bruce Campbell. So it's another appearance. And the rumor was that they were going to make four Spider-Mans. And the fourth one, because the part three didn't work that well, it didn't make that much money. They, they trashed part four. <laughs> but the rumor, if it's true, was the villain in part four was going to be this guy named Mysterio. Mysterio was just in the last Spider-Man movie that was made by, by Marvel. And I guess they were going to unmask Mysterio, and they were going to find out it's Bruce Campbell. And he's going to, it would have been like, yeah, I've been stalking you, Peter Parker. <laughs> you know? and it would have just been a really nice kind of funny scene. We would have all laughed. But Actually, guess, someone asked him that. Saturday night at the question and answer, that exact same thing that you just said. He went through all that stuff, and Bruce was like, I don't know, man. He's like, you know, if they would have cast me, you know, sure, I would have done the role, but he's like, the movie got scrapped before anything ever amounted to anything, you know? Interesting. But he, okay. but he mentioned something about Doctor Strange, the, the new Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. yeah he, he said, did. keep your eye out for Dr. Strange because he might, he might, I guess, be in that. Right. Cause Sam Raimi is working. Right. On that. right. Yeah. Another, another thing I found out at the Q and a, uh, on Saturday night is, you know, the Delta, the car that he drives in the first, that they're driving in the first evil dead movie. Yeah. That car has been in every single Sam Raimi movie that he's ever made. 
That's right. He's going through all the movies last night. The one he's like, I forget what the name of it is, but he's like, it's a Western. He's like, how do you put a car in a Western? He stripped it down and put the chassis under a covered wagon. <laughs> I didn't know about that. And another movie, he was like, I forget. I can't remember the, the titles of these uh, movies, but he's like, this is a fantasy movie. There's no cars in this. It's a fantasy movie. The Delta's in, on the wall. He's like, he took it apart and put the, the gear pieces all this shit is on the wall of the guy's like laboratory. That's the car that falls out of the sky and crashes on the ground in, in uh, Army of Darkness. Yep. It's the same car I think uh, Uncle Ben from Spider-Man drove right before he got killed. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I knew that was it all. <laughs> it, it, Bruce I, was like, Bruce goes, something special must have happened in the backseat of that car that Sam cannot get rid of that car. Yeah, <laughs> How about me? We went, there was a little stand where people were buying things. <laughs> I saw you looking at me. And I'm like, oh, they're selling little chunks of wood from the original uh, Evil, Do, Evil Dead 2 house for 20 bucks. Just a little chunk of wood. I'm like, Casey's watching me. I want this piece of wood, but I don't want to be an idiot. I don't want to get teased. So I kind of waited until you weren't looking. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take this piece of wood. And you came up and you're like, bought a piece of wood. And I was like, where'd you come from? I thought you were gone. <laughs> I told Dustin about that. I go, yo, you want to go check out <laughs> check out the vendors up there? I was like, the guy's got uh, authentic pieces of wood from the cabin of the Evil Dead 2. He's like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Not me. I'm there buying the wood. <laughs> now I have this little chunk of wood. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. It. It's just going to sit here. <laughs> One day I'll forget what it is. <laughs> no, I forget what it is. There's a tag on it that has a cert- certificate of authenticity. Oh, that means I can't take it out of the wrapper. That's right. You can't play with that piece of wood. <laughs> can't play with it. <laughs> I should have bought two, right? One to play with and one to keep stored away. That's what I always do. Why do you think I ordered two Evil Knievels? Because you're you're insane. <laughs> That's why. That's truly what. Test one of them. Play with one of them. <laughs> test it. <laughs> I can see you having a little adventures. <laughs> Go, evil, go. Jump it. Woo! Do you like superhero movies? I'm going to totally jump here. Are you, a kind of, are you the kind of guy that'll sit and, you know, get excited about superhero movies? I'm a DC guy, Bill. Right. What about the movies, though? I know you like the characters. Yeah, I like, the, I like, the, I like those movies, yeah. I know we were hanging out. We were talking about some of the stuff that, that DC has just put out. Just, I guess it was last week, like all of a sudden they got a new Batman trailer. They got a new Suicide Squad trailer. They got a new Suicide Squad video game trailer, a new Batman game trailer. They got a new Wonder Woman trailer. All of a sudden DC exploded with all of this really cool, great content. And I'm sitting there because I'm a Marvel guy and I'm going, ah, can't wait to see what's coming up with Marvel. But shit, since this pandemic happened, they decided to shelve the Scarlet uh, Black Widow movie. And then DC is just like, let me show you how this is done. Hold my beer. Here's a whole shitload of stuff to get people excited about. So it kind of got me thinking about, um, and you know, we're gonna, we're, there's a reason I brought up superheroes. We'll get to that in a second. But it got me thinking about what kind of situation Disney might be in. Wanted to talk to you about it, right? So Disney went and bought Marvel. Then Disney bought Sony, right? Sony had all the X-Men and Deadpool. Disney also went and bought Star Wars. So what kind of situation do you think they're in? The, the last couple Star Wars movies did not make the fans happy. The person who was running her name was Kathleen Kennedy. It's pretty clear that she wasn't interested in revisiting the original characters. She was trying to actually kind of suppress them a bit. Things are coming out now. And we're finding out that she had a whole different agenda. She wanted to really build up the new characters, but the fans wanted Luke Skywalker. They wanted, you know, Han Solo, and they weren't happy with the way all that was, was treated. So, there's a like they the solo movie they made a han solo movie they spent so much making that movie that i don't think they got their return back people are saying it actually didn't make movie money can you imagine a star wars movie not making money so star wars is in some trouble they got to figure out how to fix this marvel is just like has fallen off the map and then did you hear the news that his name is um chadwick boseman yeah who played uh, uh black panther 
just die of cancer. Yeah. It's like, holy shit, who knew that was going to happen? And like, he's one of their new franchise characters. It's got to be hard running these kind of businesses and trying to manage all of these different properties and have them all make money. I mean, it, it, it is so much pressure to me. Maybe they'll just have to reboot Star Wars, start all over. The rumor is that they're bringing George Lucas in to sort of be like, hey, we should have never really cut you out because he had a script for the for the new Star Wars movies. And evidently the Kathleen Kennedy character was like, nah, we're not going to use these. We're going to create something else because she had a whole different vision than, you know, what George kind of thought the ending of the of the Skywalker trilogy should be. But I don't know. I, I hope they uh, they figure it out because I need my fix of Star of um, superhero movies. And maybe I'm going to have to switch over to DC for a little while. Come to the dark side, buddy. Maybe I'll go to the dark side. Because really, my all-time favorite superhero movie is the 1980s Batman. So even though I'm a Marvel guy, absolutely the best movie. When that thing came out, the buzz around it was huge. Like, we would, my family and I would hang out at the New Jersey Shore. If you haven't gone to the New Jersey Boardwalk, it's nothing but stores. And every store had some kind of Batman thing. The, the hype over that movie was just massive. And I remember going so many times to my, my local movie theater, standing in line and couldn't get in. Shit, come back another day. Couldn't get in. Just there was so much allure and, and just, you've seen it, right? I mean, were you oh, yeah. as passionate as everybody else? Everybody was wearing a fucking Batman logo. I mean, it was they were everywhere. I was nine at the time and I wasn't, back then I wasn't into, uh, I was into wrestling when I was a kid. I wasn't into Batman and superheroes and stuff. I was into WWF wrestling. So uh, I didn't get into all this stuff until much later. I think it created the, the first summer blockbuster. It's probably the movie that's responsible for, you know, the idea that every summer has to have giant multi-billion dollar, you know, movies. It was, it was, pretty, it was a pretty big deal, that Batman movie. That's crazy to me that, uh, that you couldn't get in. Like it was sold out like that every time you went. Took several tries until I was finally able to get in. And I probably went to that movie like five times because it <laughs> stayed open for a long time because it was doing so well. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gone to the movies to see a movie twice other than that Batman movie. Well, who'd you line up as our guest today? So today for our, uh, our guest is someone from your all-time favorite Batman movie, the 1989 Batman, Robert Wool yeah, is our no. guest today. Uh, he he had a pretty good part in that movie. He wasn't, you know, just a background person. He actually had a had a key role. So I'm really interested. New, that was a new character to the Batman series, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah so uh, Robert Wool's been in everything from Batman 89 to uh, Arliss, Bull Durham. Movie that I really liked him in was a, a movie that I liked as a kid, and I haven't been able to find it. Uh, now with all the, the technology and everything that there is now, I'm sure I'll be able to find it. But it was called The Hollywood Nights. Do you remember seeing that movie ever? Hollywood with Fran Nights. Drescher, no. uh, Robert Wool, uh, Tony Danza was in it. Uh, How Michelle, could I have missed a Tony Danza movie? Michelle Pfeiffer. Dude, it was a great movie. No. Nobody, ever, nobody has ever heard of it. It used to be on like HBO late at night. I loved it as a kid. I used to like try and find it on HBO. I it used to... Before, like, the, all the internet and stuff, you know, try to just have to wait for it to come on HBO late at night, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I've uh, seen him. In, he pops up everywhere. Like, back in the day, he was popping up everywhere. I saw him in a, in a, in a Madonna video. Oh, really? Yeah. He's, he's just in things. <laughs> so he's, he's another one of those kind of actors that everyone's going to see and remember. He's got that. He's got a very memorable face, and he's always had some pretty good, you know, roles. Did you know he did stand-up comedy? That's how he got started. Yeah, I did. I uh, did a little research, and I wanted. That's one of the things I want to ask him about is his uh, stand-up comedy career. So, I actually, we're going to start uh, something new. I think with this episode, uh, since we do have so many listeners, we're going to take some listener questions for our guest. Wait a minute. So, did you already ask our listeners for questions? I did. And you got some. I got some. You really do have listeners. I can't believe it. I'm thrilled, but. What the fuck? Well, now we've got so much more pressure to be funny. Like when I thought nobody was listening, it was easy. I didn't have to worry about anything. Just pretend no one's listening. I'm nervous now. You'll be fine. 
Robert's here in the waiting room. So uh, let's welcome Robert Wool. How are you, man? Fine, thanks. Good job. Very good. Got the Doing Mets good. on there behind you? Uh, I think they're the Mets and the Yankees, yes. I got a bunch of games usually on behind me. <laughs> well, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to chat with us. We just started talking about your entire career <laughs> before we actually connected with you. So uh, we'd love to run through some questions with you, if you don't mind. Of course, go ahead. Of course. Robert, we were, uh, we were talking. You got started as a stand-up comic? Yes. Is that correct? Yes. How, how did uh, – why, why did you decide to become a stand-up comic? Or how did that come about? Um, it was a way to show – I wanted to be a filmmaker and storyteller always, and I used – using the career path of guys like Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and Paul Mazursky and Mike Nichols, uh, they all started as stand-up comics. So I thought this was a good vehicle because I could write my own act. I didn't have to wait till somebody cast me. I could write an act and have my work be seen. So I thought that was a really good vehicle for that. Nice. So then how did, I, I read also that you were one of Rodney Dangerfield's writers. Is that, is that true? My first job, it's like within two days of each other, my first jobs were writing a, a, for Stiller and Mira. I wrote a little sketch, one sketch for them. And then I started writing jokes for Rodney. Yeah. So how does that work? So it's, it's, for Rodney, it was actually just the, the stage work that he would do. It wasn't a, a television show or anything like that. No, no, absolutely. Rodney was a favorite comic of mine. In college, you know, during the 70s, we really liked Rodney. Uh, so I knocked on his dressing room door and, uh, and tried out some jokes on him. You know, and he would say, uh, and he'd greet you in a bathrobe with nothing on underneath. And I'd have to try some jokes. See? And I go, okay, I'm all right now, but last week I was in rough shape. You know, a guy comes up to me at the airport. He says, loan me $5 till payday. I say, when's payday? He says, I don't know. You got the job. <laughs> and, he, and he would say, okay, the kid, the jokes are good, but don't do me. You know, so, uh, so and then, so we had, we started a relationship. And, wow. was, and a couple of, uh, within about, I would say within a month or two, he did uh, one or two of my jokes on The Tonight Show, which was very cool. So I've actually heard that he meets people in a robe with nothing on underneath. Yeah, you just said true. that. Absolutely true. What? He just likes wearing robes or he just likes putting everybody a little bit off guard? Yeah, he's a good, he was an exhibitionist, yeah. Was he? <laughs> do you get paid? I hope this isn't too personal, but I've always been curious uh, the way that, that it works. I mean, do you get paid per joke? Do you get paid sort of are you on, on his payroll? And he just keeps saying, yeah, okay, I expect you to deliver. Well, the key was to get uh, if you, you paid per joke because uh, you got a million dollars a joke. <laughs> That's the old, if I could just sell one. The um, No, you got back then it was like $50 a joke or $60, which was actually pretty good pay for most of the comics back then. So you'd just be writing and writing? By the way, the jokes had to work. They had to work. If oh. they didn't, or work well enough where he could rewrite them or do something with them. But they had to work. So if they were a dud, he wouldn't pay you? No. Wow. Is that that's the way it was. I mean, it was. Who, why would I pay somebody for shitty jokes? <laughs> why, why, why am I paying you for jokes that suck, that don't work, you know? I don't know what kind of – I imagine it was different for different people in your relationship. But, no, you got paid by the joke generally. Yeah, interesting. Did you use writers or did you write your own stuff when you were doing stand-up? I, I, I wrote all of my own stuff with a couple of exceptions of somebody would tweak something of mine or, or say something very, very, very rare. I could probably count it on a hand or two hands, you know, something like that. Uh, or my friend of mine would say something who's very funny would say something and I would turn it into a joke or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like your style too. It was very, ob it's observational, but it's also like kind of showing absurdity within some of the things that we see every day. So it's kind of it smart humor that, that you sort of, you know, I guess that was your brand. I guess I have no idea what my brand was. I, I guess I know it wasn't stupid, although it could be silly. Silly's not the same as stupid. Silly is hardly the same as stupid. I like stupid jokes and I like silly jokes. I'm trying to think of what the differences are. Stupid is, um, I, 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 how can I explain it? It does, it's, you know, comedy's so subjective. Uh, what's a stupid joke? Um, it really is like an art form. There's no doubt in my mind that comedy is an art form. Oh, can I quote you on that? Sure. 
You can definitely have that quote. Okay, thank you. Comedy is an art form. Okay, I'll quote you on that. <laughs> thank you. I think all the comedians and comedy writers that have been doing it for hundreds of years will appreciate that. Good. <laughs> and I, I mean, who are the comedians now that you uh, are really... Uh, um, uh, the same ones for the most part. I, uh, I'm not that hip to all the comics. Chappelle, for sure. Uh, Chris Rock, for sure. Uh, uh, Sebastian... Uh, whatever his last name, Monica Elso, whatever. He's very good. Bill Burr's very good. Sarah's very good. Is that Sarah Silverman? Yeah. Yeah. I like Kathy. I think Kathy Griffin's a great storyteller. A great storyteller. She can tell a story. Well, Bill Maher's a great guy. Well, Bill, Bill's different. Bill's, Bill's in a different place for me. Bill is, is a great, for me, Bill's just terrific. Uh, He's got balls of steel. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's uh, so, uh, but since it's the same guys, it's the same. It's not, you know, how many great comics do you get during a generation? Two, three, four. Uh, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's some young people that I'm not aware of, to be real honest with you, who are ter doing terrific stuff. They have to be. Who else I'm very impressed with? I'm sure there's others. I'm sorry. No, it, I, I find myself usually when I'm listening to stand-up comedy, I'm always going back to Howie Mandel, Robin Williams. Um, you know, I'm certainly aware of your stuff as well. Like, I, to me, even though it's older stuff, it doesn't lose its its uh, magic. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't get dated. A lot of this stuff is still as funny as it was when it first came out. Well, that's that, I, that's very kind of you to say on my behalf. The interesting thing is that you know, comedy there is topical. Like, things are topical for the most part. I mean, but there are certain things that are not. I'll give you an example of something that's topical, but it'll give you an, an appreciation of longevity. In 19, I think I did it in 1982. I did a bit, a routine about being from New Jersey, about New Jersey, someone in New Jersey had put a bill before the state assembly. I know this bit. Bruce Springsteen's born to run the state anthem of New Jersey. Yeah. And I did this bit on the piano because I can play a little piano. And I broke down the song and how absurd this song was. Now that, and it was a huge hit. I did that in 1982 because Springsteen has stayed so relevant. I could do that routine today. And it's a topical routine, basically. And this is almost 40 years later. I couldn't do a, I couldn't do a routine about my Sharona. I couldn't, you know, I, you know, which was the same year, or, or, or uh, who could it be now? You know, it's like I, I couldn't do that. But Springsteen, because he has stayed so relevant, I could still do that routine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember another one. Um, so you're from New Jersey. We're right in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and you were going to a show with a special guest, and you were so excited to see the special guest was in New Jersey. <laughs> do you remember this bit? Okay, well, no. It's Yoko Ono, and everyone was disappointed. <laughs> yeah, Yoko Ono. That's a true story. That, that's true. Uh, she was at the. It was at the old Giant Stadium, and I forgot what the charity was for. But it was Yoko Ono. <laughs> I mean, you had to see a crowd. You talk about uh, taking the air out of the balloon. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, you were great. You were like that was, that, was, that was the first time I did, did the old, the line. And when she started singing, if it was a fight, they would have stopped. <laughs> I, 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 you know, uh, that was, you know, um, but the, yeah, you know, it's amazing because people remind me of jokes that I did that I totally forgot about. I mean, as far as stand, I'm, people come up and quote me my jokes. I say, boy, that was a pretty good joke. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, forget about that stuff. Uh, <laughs> but it's nice to hear, and I thank you for appreciating it. That was, was kind of nice. Oh, my pleasure. Well, it's great stuff. Um, so doing a little research on you, I saw that you were on some game shows. <laughs> I guess that's before... You know, fame really took off for you. Well, you the just well, the first game show I was on was the ten thousand dollar pyramid, but that was as a contestant when I first got out of college, and I and I actually won, so it gave me a little nest egg. At least I had ten thousand dollars to start with. Uh, but then, as a talent, uh, when you went out to California, uh, I did a, a couple of times on the dating game because the dating game was a paying gig. It was a sad gig or an after gig. And so a lot of comics, a lot of people were on the dating end. I mean, Steve Martin, Steve Martin was on, sure. uh, uh, Tom Selleck, Andy Kaufman, Paul Rubens. Uh, I think Sally Field was, I mean, I saw, she had a big star by then. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people because it was a paying gig. It paid your rent for the month. 
I mean, that was, you know, if you got $1,000 to go on or $800, that was your rent for the month to go on the dating game. And they, and they loved having comics because they were entertaining. They were self-contained. And they knew, so I went on always. I never went on as Robert Wolf. I went on as uh, Lyle Talbot, Lawrence Talbot, the Wolfman. I went on as, uh, uh, I forgot a couple of other pseudonyms or whatever it was. Uh, and I went on uh, as, as all different people, you know. But I always, like, but I did go on a number of times. Yeah. We were talking before uh, you came on. We were talking as as a kid from the '80s and, and watching tons of stuff in the '80s and the '90s. I remember seeing your face all the time. You just kept coming up, and I remember watching a Madonna video. Oh wow, there's rock and roll. So that, that's really cool that you've actually been in so many different things. The Madonna video was very helpful. It was a time in my career where not was not much was all that much was going on, and uh, they wanted someone to improvise this little pit of. Um, they had a scene with Keith Carradine, who was playing a Howard Hughes-type um, movie, you know, owner. And they wanted to have somebody improvise with him on, you know, as they watched the film of Madonna, who could not have been hotter at that time. I mean, that was a zenith. I mean, she was a, I mean, she, I mean, Material Girl became a great video and also a great, and Mary Lambert, the director, saw me at the, at the improv and asked me if I wanted to do it. And when I when I told me what it was, I pretty much ripped off. I had seen the Cotton Club movie. I guess I don't know how much earlier than that, but there was a scene in the Cotton Club where there was a Hollywood yes man talking to a studio head. So I pretty much just parroted everything. You know, it was just a yes man. You know, yes. Same way there wasn't Bull Durham. Pretty much, he was a yes man. That's the way I saw it. So uh, that's how that happened. Yeah. What was the biggest movie? Is it safe to say was it? Batman. Is that the one that... How many movies bigger than Batman? As far as my career? Well, Batman's huge. Uh, but it was, there was three in a row. So in short time, it was Good Morning Vietnam, Bull Durham, and Batman. So that was a real kick in the ass, of course. That really... And then pretty much that, a few years later, segues in. I had a director movie and a couple of other gigs, and that segues into Arliss on HBO. Right. So, uh, so, yeah, so there was that, yeah. Was Arliss the first actual series on HBO? I don't remember them having oh, series. No, 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 no. There was a lot of series before. There was quite a few. There was one called First and Ten that was on. It was actually OJ and Delta Burke. That was on in the late seventies, early eighties. There was the Gary. There was Larry Sanders. There was uh, what was the one? Uh, Dream On was another oh, series they had. They had no. They had other series for sure. Yeah, I, you you did that show for how many years? I think you did five years. Seven seasons. Seven. Do you still get recognized for Arliss? Yes. Yeah. What, what do you get recognized for the most? The dating game. Arliss is a TV series, so you're reaching a lot of people. It wasn't a network TV series, remember. It was, it was, it was cable. Um, Batman would be – Batman's probably number two. And number three would be the first movie I did, a cult film called The Hollywood Nights. Yeah. Casey was just, yeah. so I hadn't seen that. Casey was telling me about it. Tony Danza, who else was in that? Michelle Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to watch that one. Stuart Pankin, a lot of people. Gaylord Sartain, a lot of talent. Lee French, a lot of talent. A lot of young I love people. that movie. You know, it's a huge cult film. It's an enormous cult film. So that would say those three would be there. And then I would say next would be Bull Durham. Yeah, Batman was, I was at that age where when Batman came out, it was just, it changed everything for, you know, this little teenage kid, you know, now, and I said in the, in the opener, I said, you know, it's the first movie I can think of that was a summer blockbuster. Did you think it was going to be that big and that iconic? I, well, there was summer blockbusters before that. I mean, again, you're younger. I mean, there was this little movie called Jaws that was pretty big. Oh, yeah. It was, it was Star Wars before that, which was pretty big. Uh, so there was a lot of different, you know, it's, everything is generational. So I understand that. Everything. I think 99% of most things are generational. It, it just is. I thought it had a chance to be as big as it was. I thought it had a chance to be, a, it, it had a chance because it was some, it was, it was unique. And uh, I trusted Tim Burton yeah, it had a chance. It, it, all, everything was going for it, you know. So uh, what's interesting now is people, the one thing the studios were always worried about how dark it was going to be because I was not a fan of the Batman TV series at all. I, I hated it. Being a Batman fan, I hated the TV series. It was too campy. I'm not a huge fan of camp. 
Um, and it was too jokey. And, uh, so I knew Tim wanted to make it darker, which was a positive, big positive. Uh, and the original script was phenomenal. It was a great script. Goober and Peters weren't quite as on board with that, by the way. Uh, when I once, they, they, they hired the right guy with Tim Burton because when I went, and he hired Michael Keaton. And people forget, if you're only of a certain age, thank God there was not social media back then because Michael Keaton would have never withstood the outrage there was over his hiring of Batman. People forget they were pissed off. I mean, people, I mean, the fanboys hated the idea of Michael Keaton. Mr. Mom is Batman, you know, so and so. And it's like, and I knew Michael because he was a stand-up comic with me. And I knew how good an actor he was and how dark Michael could be and uh, how great, he might be my favorite actor working today. But I, that, that no way with social media could that have, could he have withstood that. They, the studio would have had a buckle. But interesting, uh, Goober and Peters, actually, I once asked them, who would you have cast if it wasn't for uh, uh, Michael Keaton? And John Peters' idea was Steve Martin. So this gives you an idea of what direction he wanted to go in. Mm. Batman was, you know, that was wonderful. It's a great time. I got to be in London for all that time. Um, that, that's, one, you know, that's one of the great memories of my life. Yeah. Well, what was the set like? What, what kind of production? Oh, oh going to, going to, you know, we, we were shooting at Pinewood Studios, which is the home of the James Bond movies. That's the James Bond Studios. And it's about an hour outside of London with traffic. And, but you'd walk in and you saw Gotham City and what Tim Burton and the late great uh, production designer, whose name, uh, Anton First, who just, who committed suicide shortly thereafter, had created and it was phenomenal to go to that. It was just so cool, so cool to go to that set. I mean, it was just the the look. I mean, it was it was something special. I mean, that really was. I mean, that first, you know. I, now I'm only in the first Batman, but I, it's my opinion. This is strictly my opinion, and I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to talk about each car incarnation of Batman separately. The first incarnation I'll take with the Tim Burton and the Joel Schumacher films. I'll call that one incarnation. And the second incarnation, of course, is the, um, the Dark Knight stuff. With the first incarnation, I think there's four or five movies. Four? Five? I don't know. If you took every hour from the first hour to the last hour and put them end to end to end again, each hour gets progressively worse. <laughs> they get progressively. The first hour of first Batman is phenomenal. Second Batman's pretty damn good. The next one, Batman Return, first hour's good. Second hour's starting to wane. And then comes Joel Schumacher, may he rest in peace, but his sensibilities were just totally more. When you see the Joel Schumacher films, that's the direction Goober and Peters wanted to go. That's the direction, believe me. And then the second incarnation is totally different. It's a totally different generation, so... I have to, you have to judge each of them. It's like judging eras and ballplayers. You, know, you can't, they're different. They're very different. Yeah. So I heard a rumor that uh, they're actually talking to Michael Keaton about coming back and playing that character in that, uh, you know, that sort of universe, playing that character again. And I know that you actually had a sort of return uh, as well. I didn't follow. Uh -oh. One scene, one scene, one, one shot, one scene. Uh, I, I enjoy doing it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so for, for people who don't know, so they did on the, the, I don't even know the channel. I just, I don't watch that show. It's a CW. was called Crisis. Crisis on Infinite Earths or something. Yeah. 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 See, I, now I have to tell you, I love going to these card shows and I love going to these comic cons. I'm not a big sci-fi fantasy guy at all. At all. I mean, I just, you know, I've seen two, two, two maybe three Star Wars. I've seen, I haven't seen Avatar. I, I don't see any of these. I haven't seen any Justice League. I just, it's just not my genre at all. I just, uh, with rare exceptions, I should say. But uh, I, I, I'm amazed just by the whole fanboy thing. But, but they're, they're great. I love talking with the people and everything. I just don't go see the movies. <laughs> I love the people. I just don't go see the movies. I'm what movies are you watching then these days? What really gets you kind of excited? The Prophet. I like watching The Prophet on CNBC. I like watching Shark Tank. Baseball. I've always loved baseball. As far as movies and stuff like that, there is, I can't think of any, 
you see, here's the problem with movies to me. And this is just the nature of society and the nature is that you're, the movies as, as we know them, it's like I've known them, have totally changed the, because the marketplace has totally changed. Uh, movies now are made for a demographic that is 12 to 24. And by doing that, I mean, because that's your repeat business, it's a very non-discerning audience. It's a very young audience. Uh, so there's not going to be any kind of gray area. There's not going to be any kind of ambiguity. They don't understand, just by nature of the age. It has nothing to do with how smart they are. Obviously, they should be smarter than us. But it's not. An, it's an age where there's no ambiguity. There's an, I, irony doesn't exist in their world. Uh, satire doesn't exist in their world for the most part. They're 12 to 24. And they make it. And the amazing thing about everybody playing to that demographic, which everybody does, is that de that demographic has no money unless adults give it to them. What, what, what 12 to 24 kids got money? Right. Nobody. <laughs> nobody unless adults give it to them. Uh, which is why um, you're seeing better stuff on TV, as far as my opinion. I mean, at least you're seeing adult stuff on TV, although now that's changing because, because of the pandemic. You don't – movies are very, very – I mean, I see a couple that I enjoy a year, but for the – but I, you know, I used to see everything that came out. Uh, the movies were my life. Not so much anymore. Well, yeah, some smaller movies. Not None – I can't – I'm trying to think of the last – big studio movie, I'm sure there's one that's I'm, I'm missing, that I went and saw in a theater that I really, you know, went gaga for. Yeah. Well, I can't... I'm older, but I'm older. I'm not the demographic you're looking for. I get that. Well, you have the money. You have money. Yeah, but but that, I'm not the demographic that they're looking for. Yeah. I think it's 12 to 24. Well, yeah. And, and I, that totally makes sense. They don't have the disposable income. Sure. No, it, unless the parents give it to them. Right. Well, I couldn't help but notice that. Is that the Emmy that you won behind you? Yes. That's awesome. So you actually won an Emmy. If I got this right, you won an Emmy for writing the Oscars. Two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's kind of – I should have moved that over. It's kind of tacky to show. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Well, I'm kind of creepy. I'm here scanning your, your house. I don't mean to be uh, – <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, Billy Crystal is responsible for that. What do you mean? He's responsible. Yeah, he hosted. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was working with him, and he's responsible for the Emmys. It's, you know, oh, but your writing contributed to the to the great yeah, show. Yeah, I'm writing, yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. But I'm, he's responsible. <laughs> totally responsible. Yeah, I wrote jokes for him. Yeah, we had a great time. It was great. Yeah. How come he didn't? Keep on going. You, you did, was it one and done or two years? No, I did, I did two. And then Billy, and then I started doing Arliss and I was unavailable. I was doing uh, Arliss Kelly thereafter. Because what do we do? It had to be in like 94, 95. Yeah, 96, I'm doing Arliss right around. Then. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't continue. I couldn't continue. I was working on, on the other show. So uh, speaking of television shows like Arliss, uh, we have a couple uh, last questions for you, and they're, they're questions from uh, fans of ours, from listeners of ours. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the first one is uh, Aaron Meyer wants to know, do you prefer doing television shows or movies? Uh, depends on what capacity. Obviously, well, movies can be big movies. Big studio movies is pretty great because the money's really good. TV depends. Where, what capacity am I doing? The work is the same, pretty much. It depends. It, I mean, I love doing Arliss because I controlled everything of it. But those three movies I mentioned, uh, I loved every second of them. Uh, it's just, you know, everybody likes to see themselves on a big screen. But it's not. It's, it's what is the character? What the thing? The thing about movies is, you know, it's it's fun, and people like to get caught up in them and everything. It's understandable. Uh, it depends on the project. I mean, I nothing was, you know, those movies I mentioned in Arliss, I mean, those are three things I love. I mean, I was four things I was very fortunate to do, and I loved every moment of it. Nice. All right, so uh, Jason Watts would like to know, uh, what can you tell us about your time on Good Morning Vietnam? That's his uh, favorite movie. Oh, great. Well, I had a great time, uh, Jason. Thank you for asking. I, uh, I got to go to Thailand for six weeks. Now, Robin and I were friendly beforehand. Because Robin was a comic. And Robin and I started pretty much at the same time in the comedy clubs. So we knew each other pretty well. 
So it was great, and I got to make great friends, especially the late, great, very great Bruno Kirby. And uh, it was great fun, and Barry Levinson, because I had known Barry. Barry had auditioned me about four times for four or five different projects. Everything from Diner to Tin Men to he had another project, and I, and I kept coming up short. But when it came time for this one, he, he, you know, he, he was apart from me. So um, that was great. And uh, it was great fun. It was hot. It was hot. Thailand is hot. What I remember most there, besides the camaraderie there, was the first day I arrived at the hotel where everybody was staying, uh, there was a girl who was sunbathing by the pool topless. So I naturally went and, you know, laid down near her, very close to her. <laughs> and, and I remember not being cognizant that tropical sun is not the same as the sun in New Jersey or California. And I wound up with first degree burns over every part of my body. And I mean, it was painful and I could not move. I mean, it was, it was burned head to toe. And when I had to go for wardrobe things, I could still feel, you know, the, the, the pain of putting on the uniforms and the costumes. And that didn't go away for a couple of weeks. That, that's that. That, that, how's that for a memory? <laughs> Can we see that in the movie? So when we watch the movie, are you going to be sunburned? I, I, oh, no, I doubt that. I doubt yeah. that. Wow. But that's what I, I mean, that's when you ask me about memory. See, that's the difference. You know, that's something that I will remember about that. And I remember eating a lot of pad thai. I ate a lot of pad thai. It was fun because of the people around, the, the camaraderie of all the guys, because it was all guys pretty much. And um, it, was, it was a really good shoot. So you had a hotel nearby. Um, did they always cart you back and forth to the hotel, or did they try to create a camp that, that the performers could be comfortable in? Because it's, you know, it's a hot spot. No, of course you're in hotels. You're in hotels, and then you take a van to the shooting. I mean, that's the uh, way yeah. everything. And then I guess there's trailers all around the, the, where you're shooting. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so you said that was filmed in Thailand, right? Mm-hmm. Does uh, I always wondered, like, how does that work? Do studios have to take all of their stuff there, like their production equipment there, or do you? Does Thailand already have everything? And you no. run it? No, you, they bring. You know, I'm sure they bring ninety percent of it there. Oh wow! They 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 probably use some Thai extras. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, you bring all the stuff. Okay. I mean, maybe now they've got it. It depends how much shooting is there. I mean, no. No, because I'm trying to remember if we had any Thai members on the crew and nothing's jumping out at me, so no. We had a British crew for that movie. That was fun. I worked with British crews twice, that and Batman. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, so Jason Rollins would like to know, what was it like working with Tommy Lee Jones on the movie Cobb? Well, I love Cobb. Uh, you know, Tommy Lee is a force of nature. Tommy Lee is the strongest human being I've ever met. He once grabbed my arm, my forearm. I remember him grabbing it for a scene where he grabbed my arm. And the next day, it was like this huge black spot. It was like, I never saw anything like, well, he's a rancher and a polo player. So you know how strong he is. And we had a great time together. I mean, we, it was just the two of us in 90% of the movies. So, and we got along, you know, we got along pretty damn well. And we had a good time. We had a good time together. I love Cobb. Cobb's a very dark movie about a very dark human being. It's not for everybody's taste. Uh, it bombed. Boy, did it bomb at the box office. It was a huge turkey. Really bad loss. But what's interesting, if, you, if, you, if you're familiar with the movie, is it's about, about, uh, that, it's about separating the personal from the professional in that the, somebody can be the best in the world at what they do. They can change, the effect, but they can still be a real asshole. It's like, don't think that people who are good at what they do makes them a good person. That's not the way the world works. I mean, you know, Henry Ford would, you know, obviously was a great industrialist, but he was a scumbag on the highest order. Um, you know, so Charles Lindbergh, you know, was America's hero, but he was a big time Nazi, you know. So you have to separate the personal from the professional. So uh, story, fast forward, I'm playing in a Celebrity Golf Tournament, the Lexus Golf Challenge, Celebrity Golf Challenge, maybe, ooh, maybe about, about eight years later, seven, eight years later. And I'm in a foursome with Sean Connery. 
And Connery's, you know, walking down the fairway with me, and, uh, you know, and he turns to me and goes, you were in that movie Cobb, weren't you? And I said, yes, I was. He goes, I like that movie. And he said, I like that movie a lot. And I'll tell you why it didn't do well. I go, why? He says, because it talked about what it takes to be great, and Americans don't want to see what it takes to be great. And I said, well, that's interesting. However, Sean, I got to tell you, it bombed in the UK, too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So, you know, movie stars, you tend to like to pop the bubble that they <laughs> of their self-importance, you know, because movie stars do have self-importance. How do you get in a golf foursome with Sean Connery? You get invited by NBC to play in a celebrity golf ch- I'll tell you it was in the tournament. It's got the poster right here. It was uh, Jack Nicholas, Glenn Fry, Dick Stockton, Kevin Costner, can't make out the Lee Trevino, who else? Bob Murphy, Tom Weisskopf. Sean Connery, uh, Arnold Palmer, Chichi Rodriguez, Jerry, somebody, I can't make that name out. It's funny, you can make out the golfer's name. None of the celebrities can make out. Richard Richard Dreyfuss played. Joe Pesci played, I remember. It was great. It was great. It was an NBC show. It was was great fun. I loved every second of it. Very fortunate. Sounds like a good time. Yeah, no, it was was quite remarkable. It was one of those great moments. (laughs) <laughs> you, know, you look back and you're very fortunate for all the, you know, the moments that you've had, you know, that's, you know, that, that's one of them for sure. You know, you got put up in a great day at the uh, La Quinta in the Palm Springs, these great villas. And oh, it was wonderful. It, it was wonderful. Clint Eastwood played. Um, boy, yeah, that was, it was great fun. Nice. All right. So our last, uh, our final question is from James Aaron Thomas. Do you have a favorite character that you've played out of all the things that you've been in? What's, uh, what's your favorite? <sighs> They're different. The best performance I think I ever gave was in a movie called Mistress that was directed by Barry Primus, who was a terrific actor's director. He made me, he got me to do stuff I didn't do. But if I, one character would have to be Arliss because I got to do it, you know, we did 70 episodes, 80, 80 episodes, 70, 80 episodes. And I got to tell, I got to play a character who was nuanced. And I got to tell many stories about him, and it's stories about you know domestic and, and you know and we'll do all the social issue stories. That uh, in fact, it holds up. They just had a whole thing of it the other day, and boy, the stories hold up. I mean, because it's all domestic abuse, steroid abuse, bisexual athletes, gay athletes, unwanted pregnancies, Alzheimer. I mean, all these stories held up. Indian mascots. Uh, all the stories we did hold held up really well today. They really did. I was very proud of that. So that would be it because, but that was a TV series. And also I was the creator and, you know, I, I was a 600 pound gorilla in that one. So, um, so that, but boy, I mean, you know, I, I, the Bull Durham, the, the character was wonderful. I enjoyed Good Morning Vietnam, loved Alexander Knox and Batman. Uh, but you remember I did them once. So the other ones I got to do, the other one I got to do 80 times. Sure. So, so I did enjoy that a lot, but they're all, they're all very special to me. Well, Robert, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, you're terrific. How did your show start, by the way? I usually ask about how your show started. How did, we, how did this all become? Honestly, uh, we're, we're kids from the 80s, from the 90s, and, and we talked about wouldn't it be fun to sort of get behind the scenes, start to learn a little bit more about the stuff that we love about, you know, just sort of see the other side of it. Where, and are, you from? Where are you guys from? We're in Reading, Pennsylvania. Okay. So not too far from, from where you live. I don't know if you live there now, but where you grew up in Union. Now, Reading is, how far from Philly is that? 40 minutes on the highway with no traffic. Okay, okay. okay. You know, I did some research. I, I did a show one time. I was doing research about Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yeah, we're close and, to that. Yeah. And the difference is, and because I read a book about the, called The Chocolate Wars, and the differences between Hershey and Mars. And I was fascinated about it. Hershey apparently was everything that you could say about somebody who was good. I mean, her most beloved guy left all the money to Hershey, you know, left all the stock and everything. And Mars is a hundred percent the other way around. I mean, <laughs> oh wow. Mars is supposed to be a major dick, you know, and, uh, but it was interesting. It was a good, you know, it was just interesting. The chocolate wars. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, there, he has a uh, he has a home there for uh, for kids. I think a school. Oh, yeah. They left all the money there to the orphanage in, this, in yep. the town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a school there now, and everything that he he put together. Yeah, Hershey's really terrific. They didn't have their own kids, and they left all the money to orphanages and everything else. 
Yeah, if, you're ever, if you're ever in that area, the uh, the Hershey Hotel is beautiful. Yeah, I would love that. I'd love that. Of course, right now I'm not going anywhere in any hotel. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, thank you guys. I had a great time. I appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, Robert. So before we wrap up, do you have any – is there anything that you're working on or uh, – Not really because I, there's nothing going on right now. Uh, uh, you know, there's a couple of things I'm writing by myself and everything, but there's not much going on really. So – you know, my, oh, I, I know. I just did an American Dad episode. I, I've done that a couple of times. And I like doing American Dad. I play myself. Nice. So I, I so I should get that one right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I enjoy that. But that's about. It's not much going on. Voiceover work is there, but that's about it. Sure, you you can do all that voiceover stuff from home, I guess, right? Uh, I can some of it, but uh, actually I'll be going into it. We did record it from home, but I think I'm going to have to go into a studio because the quality isn't near as good for them. Sure. Well, that's great, man. Uh, how about social media? Anywhere anybody can find you? Do you have a website? Do, do you do Cameo or anything like that? I am on, I am on Cameo. I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy that as long as they don't ask me to read a script. <laughs> and, you know, in a, you go, oh, do this as Arliss and say that. I'm not going to do that. Or or give a shout or, or you know, about, about birthday greetings and, you know, get well stuff. Stuff that's more, that's fine. Ask me questions. But when they start telling me about what to say and in character or giving a plug for a business, which a lot of them do, they'll say, hey, this is what, and so I go, well, that's a commercial. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> for doing a commercial okay you know but it's not going to be on cameo the uh you know but i but otherwise i do enjoy the cameos i, I enjoy making people happy um uh, but i am cameo facebook uh twitter but between you and me i've got somebody else doing the twitter the um the but that's yeah so i'm out there as far as that goes great thanks for taking the time out of uh, your day to do this man this is a lot of fun. my pleasure all the best to you guys stay safe wash your hands thank you, you sir bye-bye